miss this once. But hey, look, we love roller coasters and always looking out for the next best one. There's one in Abu Dhabi. I've got a picture over here. Formula Rossa. Has anybody been there or been on it? It's the world's fastest roller coaster. Reaches speeds of 150 miles per hour. That's the... Uh, you do Ks, don't you? That's what the two... I've got, I've got the Ks here. 239 Ks, okay? That is fast, okay? It, it's the equivalent of a Formula One car pulling up to four Gs across the roller coaster. It's the ultimate roller coaster. If you want to do the ultimate, you need to go to Abu Dhabi. If you're going there, invite me, I'll come with you. I want to look at with you, not the ultimate roller coaster, but I want to look at the ultimates with you in regards to this whole area of Christianity. I want to look at three ultimates. I'm going to start with this. Number one, the ultimate question. The ultimate question. What is the ultimate question? Listen to this, verse 30. He then brought them out, the jailer, and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's the question facing two converted Jews. These are Jewish men converted to Christianity and they face this question from this jailer, what must I do to be saved? And that's really just jargon, it really is. But I want to take some time with you now to try and develop what that means, what that means in layman's terms, what that means for us. Look, we're in a city of Macedonia, Philippi and Macedonia. It's north of Greece. This is roughly 2,000 years ago now. We're in a part of the world that's, that has, hasn't had Christianity impacted. This is the first real impact. Here we are and we meet a young girl. We're told she's a slave girl. But she has this ability that we, we would probably resonate with today. She can see the future. We call them fortune tellers. And so people would pay her to tell the fortune in Acts 16, 16, she earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. And so she was sadly owned, and she's a slave girl. And, and this, look, one thing it tells you, these things are real. I know sometimes we don't like to admit or acknowledge that there's a real, there's another dimension to our world, there's a spiritual dimension. Well, here's a girl who could tell us things about the future. She earned a great deal of money, we're told, by doing it. Now, Paul and Silas are on a mission. We Christians use that term all the time. It just simply means a venture to convert or persuade other people to believe in Jesus. That's all mission is. That on this venture, doing mission to spread the message about Jesus, they encounter this girl and she begins to annoy one of the, well, these two people who are, who are speaking Jesus' message. I mean, whether or not quite what she's doing, but Paul detects there's something unhealthy in this girl. She's seeing the future, and this is why uh, we would discourage, you know, uh, you know uh, delving into uh, the mysterious side of spirituality. Seriously, because here's a girl, Paul is concerned that she's doing this because of an unhealthy position she's in. She's possessed by demonic spirits. Do you ever wonder how people are able to speak about things they, they can't know? 
Well, the Bible suggests here, friends, that it's done by the enabling of dark forces, spiritual forces, demonic spirit. And Paul, somehow um, unsettled by what this girl is doing and the spirit she's doing it in, delivers her from it. Listen to this. In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. He speaks directly to demonic forces. And at that moment, the spirit left her. What does that tell you about Jesus Christ? The fact that he used the name of Jesus in this scenario with a demonic spirit within this girl. What does that tell you about the name or the power of Jesus Christ? Over evil. He is a superior force or reality that at the use of his name or the mention of his name, the powers of darkness obey. Or cower. And so this girl is delivered. It's incredible. She's delivered of her possession. She's free to be a normal person, as it were. But there's an issue, isn't there? With this demonic spirit being, uh, she being relieved of this spirit, what does that mean? For her owners, at least. It's the end of business. It's time to go home. And boy, she had... Well, he had, the owner, a lucrative business going on here. And so consequently, they turn on Paul, on Silas, Acts 16, 19. But this is real history. They drag them into the marketplace to face the authorities. And thereafter, we're told that they're flogged severely. And then finally, Acts 16, verse 23, they're handed over to be imprisoned until a trial can take place. Verse 23, and they gave them to this prison guard to guard them carefully. Paul and Silas find themselves in a Roman dungeon for no crime other than for relieving a girl of possession. That's not a good thing. For no crime other than that. Here they are in a Roman prison, a Roman dungeon. I, know we've, I don't know what Australian prisons are like. I've spent some time in British prisons, quite frequently actually, m- visiting <laughs> members of my congregation. <laughs> okay, I'll hasten to, uh, uh, to say. And look, here's one reality, uh, that these prisons were nothing like that. These are dungeons of terrible places. There wasn't food provided for you Your family or friends had to provide you with some welfare. Otherwise, things weren't going to be good. This Roman soldier, this this, uh, prison guard, I I don't know what Aussie prison guards are like. I know they're big. Uh, But these guys weren't, weren't just big, they were brutal. You didn't become a prison guard young. It was something you did in older life when you spent years on the battlefield, years killing, years as a Roman soldier working up the ranks, and if you'd worked well enough, killed enough people, proving yourself that you were a beast of a man, then you may have an option as a retirement program to settle down in prison life. It came with a house. It's a bit like church ministry, you see. We work with convicts as well. So, so especially in Australia. It's a wrong state. I know it's a wrong state. Okay, right, right. So look, he comes with a mansion, in a mansion, a manse is what I meant to say. He comes with his own property. And so this was something hard and brutal Roman soldiers went into. This is not a nice guy, okay? 
And so it's into that condition that Paul and Silas are released. He puts them in the inner part of the prison because these, there's, there's presumably some serious concern that they may escape. How? No one knows. And so he puts them in the safest place in the prison. This is, if you like, category A, imprisonment. Okay? High security. And the higher security of that wing, if you like. And what's Paul and Silas doing? Remember, they've been beaten, they've been flogged for nothing other than helping this girl out of possession by dark forces. So here they are. I mean, you'd imagine, wouldn't you? Let me ask you this. Look, when we're trying to do something good for God, just even living the Christian life, and we end up finding ourselves in difficulty, what's usually our response to God? Yeah, what's going on here, God? I'm doing you a favor by being a Christian. We, we think that, don't we? We sometimes think we're doing God a favor by believing in him, don't we? Look at Paul and Silas, it's lovely. And here's the response of the Christian to suffering. Untold suffering. Unjust suffering. Listen to this. They were praying and singing hymns to God. Remember we said singing was a joyful activity. Here's two guys who are thanking God for, here's what I imagine, for the joy and for the privilege of suffering for Jesus. Who he accounts suffering <laughs> a privilege and a joy? We said before a few weeks ago, if you remember, that Christians are called into suffering. Because God can do something with it. Something in us that otherwise may be left untouched. But we're never so humble, are we, as when we're in trouble. God uses difficulties, friends, troubles for our good. And these two guys understand something of that. Here they are. Though they're in prison, they're praising God. They're, they're reveling in him. They're talking to him. They communicate. Look, Christian, the number one thing that stops in a Christian's life when they're in trouble is prayer. Followed by a lack of Bible interaction. Followed by a lack of church attendance. These guys are talking to God. Look, don't stop talking to God when you're in trouble. If there's ever a time to talk to God, it's when you're in trouble. Pray. And be a church. I say this regularly and I'll say it again. Be a church. The more you need to be in church more than ever when you're in a real low spot in your life. You don't want to be by yourself. You want to be with your family. You want to be with people who love you, who care for you, who can encourage you. You want to be where the Bible is taught. You want to be where people are singing to God. There's no better tonic for trouble in your life than to be with God's people, worshipping God, rejoicing in him. It's the cure for all ills. Seriously, Paul and Silas doing the best they can. They can't quite get to a church service. So what do I do? They, they invent church in the dungeon. Doing church in a, in a dungeon. And next we see this extraordinary event. Listen to this, verses 26 onwards. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake. It's unnatural, okay? This is an unnatural earthquake. From the foundations of the prisons were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open. Everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. 
when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to... What was he going to do with his sword? Kill himself. Why would he do that? Why? Someone tell me. Why? You think he drew his sword to kill the prisoners, wouldn't you? So they don't escape? This guy is going to kill himself. What's going on there? Amen. Because as a prison warden, you took prisoners into your care on the pain of death. If they escaped, then you would get the penalty that they were due. He knew that this was curtains with his life. And so in order to escape Roman uh, recriminations, he wants to harm himself. As Paul interjects quickly, listen, Paul shouts, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Incredible. We can only assume that Paul is perhaps liaising with these prisoners. Who knows? But they're all there. It goes in the jailer, called for lights. They rushed in, verse 29, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Why? What's happened to this jailer? Why is he trembling? This is a hard and brutal Roman soldier. Yeah. Yeah. He knows this is both supernatural, this is an ordinary, okay? And he knows that Paul and Silas' response is not ordinary. He most likely was sent to sleep by what? The singing. He knew that they were doing something extraordinary. He knows the charge. He's most probably heard that these guys, their crime, their only crime, was that they're speaking about some dead guy who's now alive, who transforms people's lives, who can do the miraculous. He's already probably heard that he, by the name of this guy, Jesus Christ, cast out demons. This child has probably got some history here and now realizes that something supernatural is taking place. He comes trembling. He falls at their feet, this hardened, brutal Roman soldier, and asks this ultimate question. Sirs, it's a term of respect now, okay? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What's he mean? What's he talking about? What must I do to be saved? Let me ask you, what is humanity's greatest problem? I mean, Lee and Misha, this is your time to shine, but I won't put you under the pressure. We covered this on Christianity Explored. What is humanity's greatest problem? There's lots the quintessential problem we have. They're watching. They're watches. Amen. They're watches. Remember the video? It's called sin. It's our quintessential problem because it alienates us from God and it earns. It's like sin is like currency. Let me tell you what sin is first. Sin is anything whatsoever that we do that falls short of God's perfect standard. Okay, so our quintessential problem is sin because it alienates us from God and it's a currency, it buys us something. What does sin buy us? Death. Judgment and death. And it's not just the sticking of someone in a grave, you know, in, in one sense. You know, that, that, that's, that can be a mercy in some circumstances, okay? No, this is a death 
that continues and reverberates on and on and on. It's an everlasting death. It's incomprehensible. No one can imagine what it's like. The Bible uses pictures to describe it. Those are just mere pictures. Even those pictures can't really communicate to us what this endless, forever death is like. Except we know it's awful. And so the man's question in that scheme then, the sin is alienating us from God, it's earning us or buying us God's wrath and judgment and death, eternal death. The question now makes sense. Can you see, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What's he saying? What's he asking? Saved from the wrath to come. That's the question. Here's a guy who's understood, it seems, from we don't know quite how, perhaps some supernatural knowledge, perhaps from what is discerned, that there is this wrath of God to face, and he wants to be spared of the wrath and judgment of God. Look, they're dirty words, aren't they? I know they are. Who wants to hear about a God and wrath and judgment and death? It's a reality for us that we are alienated from our Maker. And it's only Jesus, I'm going to look at that together shortly, who can give us a remedy. So we're told the hard and prison God realizes the truth that, that he needs God. Here's what Romans 3 in the Bible tells us, just in case we don't believe this, all have sinned. On Friday, a few of us here in the church, and God bless you, if you were able to support that, we were lock, knocking on local doors uh, uh, and giving that invitation to the baptismal service. And, you know, we had some good conversations, uh, uh, I felt. Uh, I, I, I think you guys are much nicer than us Brits. There, they chase you with broomsticks and swear at you and all sorts of things. Really, seriously, these guys are great. You know, in, oh, you did it to the Mormons. Uh, so, look, we had some lovely conversations, but here's what I find when you do get a conversation and you talk about God and heaven and that, you know, and the, and the, the usual response is, well, I'm a really good person. I'm going to get in, you know, surely God will accept me. I'm a really nice person. Can you see what Romans 3, 23 is saying, friends? That we all, in some sense, sin. Can I ask you now, just to be honest with yourself, look, you don't have to have been in a, in a Category A prison to be a sinner. It's as simple as a thought that's unwholesome, a word out of place, a deed. That's inappropriate. There's nobody here, neither me nor the founding pastors or any other member of this church who's exempt from that. All have sinned. And here's God's solution. God's solution is incredible. We said that God is angry towards sin. But look at this. A God who's angry towards sin nevertheless acts in love towards those who commit sin. Listen to this, it's lovely. One of, the most, one of the loveliest verses in the Bible. For God so loved the world, the world of people, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes is not condemned. God has sent his Son to remedy our condition. But here's the warning, and then it comes with a warning, verse 18, and we hardly ever hear the warning when we hear verse 16 quoted. Listen to this. Whoever does not believe in Christ, in Jesus, in God's 
uh, son being crucified on our behalf, whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Can you see what that's saying? That God has done the greatest thing for us even though he was angry with our sin. He's done the greatest thing for us by extending a gesture of friendship, of welcome to us through Jesus, through his son dying. His son's death pays the penalty for whatever we've done wrong. And he says, if we reject that, if we ignore that, if we can't believe that, then puts us in the most dangerous of circumstances. Or rather leaves us in the most dangerous of circumstances. He says we're condemned already. That is, because we're all naturally sinful, if we refuse the lifeline of Jesus' death, if we refuse to believe it, it leaves us out in the cold. And so the answer to all those dear lovely people that we meet when we speak to them and talk about Jesus and they say that they're you know, at heart good people, Jesus wants to say, hey, look, we're all in some sense, sinful. And the solution isn't to become better, to turn over a new leaf. Look, look, if you ever tried New Year resolutions, they never last, do they? Yeah, never. Look, the, the solution isn't to turn over a new leaf. The solution for our, the condition of our heart is to believe Jesus. Do you know, being a minister is like being a salesman. We're selling something. We're selling Christianity. Do you know, it's the greatest commodity to sell because it's free. It requires nothing on our part. Every religion in this world, there's no exemption, every religion in this world demands something from you. You have to be good enough. You have to do enough stuff. You have to be weighed in the balance. You have to outweigh the balance. You've got to attend religious things, do so many religious things, say so many religious things. Christianity is brilliant. Brilliant. It's free. And all that's required of a Misha or of a Lee or, or, or of a Ross or any other person in this building, in this world, to receive the hope of Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, Christianity, is to believe Jesus. Wow. Believe Jesus. Which means that now is accessible no matter where I'm born, no matter what country I'm from, no matter what language I speak, no matter where I am, is to believe Jesus. That's the challenge of the gospel. To believe Jesus is the ultimate question is what must I do to be saved? I've got two more and they're very brief, each one. The next one is the ultimate answer. Listen to this. It's not complicated. It's what we've already said. The response is simple. They replied, what must they do? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your whole household. It's the simplest message and yet the most powerful. The ultimate answer to the ultimate question is believe in Jesus. We don't, we're told in verse 32 that they spoke the word of the Lord to them and to all those in the house. So by that we imagine that he sat him down, whatever he understood. He sits him down. He tells him about Jesus. 
He tells him about the condition of his heart. He hardly needed to tell the, the Roman the condition of his heart. He knew it. Okay, he tells him the condition of his heart. He tells him the penalty of that. And he tells him the solution of that in Jesus. And he offers this man and his household a, a get-out-of-jail card for everything is ever done by believing Jesus. You'd be a fool, wouldn't you? You'd be a fool to turn that down. And the, and the Roman knows it. He knows it. And his response is to follow after what Paul says he should do. Believe and you'll be saved. It's the ultimate answer to the ultimate question. And so finally, the ultimate response. What is that? If you've got, is that the ultimate question? The ultimate response? The ult- answer, rather. The ultimate response, therefore. Listen, verse 33. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, he washed their wounds. I can't imagine this Roman soldier ever washed anyone's wounds apart from his own. Can you see the transformation occurring in this man? He washes their wounds, he shows them an act of kindness, and clearly the message has been taken in immediately, that hour of the night, he and all his family were baptized. How long? How long does it take to become a Christian? How many messages do you have to hear? How long does it take to move from a place of unbelief and therefore condemnation to a place of faith and therefore hope of heaven and future? How long does that take? How many years? How many decades? Instant. It's incredible. In fact, there's a story in the Bible of a man who's, on, who's been executed on a cross next to Jesus, okay, hasn't got many moments to live. He, in that moment of his death, moves from one position to another. You can leave this building. Okay, I don't know everyone here very well. Okay, but you can leave this building transformed. You may have entered and your future is uncertain, your destiny uncertain, the condition of your heart you may not have known, but even as you've heard this message, you may just now be, be, be becoming aware of the reality about you which you've never admitted before, that you fall short of God's standard. The cure and the solution for that and to leave this building with hope of heaven can take place in a moment. It begins and ends with Jesus, I believe in you. Jesus, I believe in you. And come f- from that comes the whole package of Christianity. We're told in Acts, in Acts 2 that along with our faith, there's repentance and there's baptism. Repentance is just a technical word. It just means, look, prior to coming to faith in Jesus, I was walking this way. I did whatever pleased me. I went wherever I wanted. I looked at whatever I wanted. I said whatever I wanted. Uh, I I did whatever I wanted. That was the destiny of my life. I was the master of my destiny. Repentance simply means I do an about turn and I begin to walk a different way. Now, everything I do, everything I say, everything I think is fashioned or controlled by Jesus. That's what repentance is. It's a change of direction. Repent and be baptized. Why are we doing this? This isn't just because Lee has another bath for a few weeks. <laughs> that reality has no 
pertinence to this situation. Okay, we can deal with that separately. Boys, get it sorted. Okay? Now, look, this is two people who've come to faith. I'm like that soldier, that Roman soldier, who came to faith and that hour of the night was baptised. So it's not quite the hour of the night, you know, uh, uh, but we know we've, we've tried to do this as soon as possible. Mission and Lee are getting baptised to complete, if you like, what's happened in their lives. They've come to faith in Christ. They've turned from their former way of life and they're now following Jesus and the baptism demonstrates what's occurred in their lives. They've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and they've repented, if you like, of their sins and they're now being baptised to follow Jesus. Lee and Misha already have peace in their hearts with God because they've believed in Jesus, they've turned from their sins and they've been baptised to demonstrate that to us. I want to give you an opportunity, even then. Look, I'm going to close very shortly. I wonder if the musicians will just join us. Perhaps you can just get yourself ready. And I want to give you an opportunity to consider what you've heard. Whatever state of heart and mind you arrived into this building, you can leave a new person. You can leave knowing that you have genuine peace in your heart with God. You can leave without gambling your future. The gamble is, you see, well, if it's all about being good, have I been good enough? You can leave without that gamble and know for certain that your faith alone in Jesus is sufficient to take you from one side of God to the other. You can leave this place in peace with God, with the hope of heaven. And perhaps the next baptism we have, and we can arrange one within a couple of weeks if need be, perhaps the next baptism we have, maybe you, being baptised and owning up to the world that you've converted to Christ. You've become a Christian. Your sins have been forgiven. You're heading towards heaven. You're living a new life. Let me pray with you. Father, we bow, we've heard truths that are outside of ourselves, truths from your word, the Bible. We pray, O oh God, that those words would have, would accompany, be accompanied by the power of your spirit, that they would penetrate our hearts now, cause us to see, perhaps for the first time, how much we need you, need your forgiveness. Help us to believe. It's something that we can't do about ourselves. Help us to believe. And then help us to leave this building transformed, at peace with you, being certain of heaven. Amen.